This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and you know, uh, we are on the eve of Thanksgiving, and I uh, was, was sitting and realizing that uh, much of the crews out traveling, we're all hunting, we've done things, and, and we've, we've failed you in some regard, and I'm sorry for that. Um, we have not had a Thanksgiving-specific episode in a really long time, and I think that we could have room to do that, and we should be doing that because Thanksgiving is such a great moment uh, to think about food and wild food especially, and we're smack dab in the middle of hunting season for most people. So um, what I wanted to do, though, was pull back an episode from... 2020, where we recorded a Thanksgiving-focused episode where we talked about some of our favorite wild food recipes and preparation methods. So hopefully if you haven't already created your preparation list or cooking list or in some regards started cooking already, you may give this episode a listen and get a little bit of inspiration from it. Uh, you'll hear also uh, both Corey and Ben, uh, who we haven't heard from in a while. Uh, they're on this episode, but like I said, it's a it's a past version of all ourselves. So uh, we do miss hearing those two chat about their adventures, chat about their favorite wild foods, and just uh, generally hang out. So um, it's good to hear that. But I hope that you definitely uh, take away something from this episode and able to jot it down and maybe share some new exciting recipes with your friends and family. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to a past version of myself. And Justin, take it away. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest to Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, uh, Justin Townsend. Those that don't know the soothing voice of myself yet, you do now. Um... Today's a, a special podcast, so we're coming up, one, we're coming up on our year anniversary here in a week or two, and even more importantly, uh, we're the eve of Thanksgiving that you'll be hearing this, so we wanted to put together a little special show in order to celebrate that, and uh, so we called it really a, a wild Thanksgiving and so we're going to run through some recipes with the crew here and uh, just really get down to sort of the uh, some of our favorites. They're not necessarily all of our, our uh, wild game recipes, but from those out and around the wild game cooking community that we'll, we'll discuss. But first off, I want to do a little round robin and kind of give some updates on 
what's been going on with the crew so you guys know who you're talking to and, and what we've been doing. Me, myself, uh, kind of in a little bit of a downtime, a little bit of a lag in between uh, the seasons here. Uh, COVID's put some interesting constraints on my travels, so uh, dealing with that. But focus locally. Uh, the weather's been a little off for spearfishing, so we've been hitting it a little bit on the fly, targeting some tarpon and some cool things like that, trying to work on that uh, Florida Keys uh, Grand Slam, as they call it, which is a tarpon, a permit, and a bonefish. So I'll trying to land those on the fly in my last, my last few months here in the Florida Keys. So, uh, yeah, those are fun adventures. Corey. What updates do you have uh, for us? Well, it's been a few weeks since I've been on. Um, I've gone on several hunting trips. We've we went on a goose hunting trip uh, there at the what is it, end of October, and uh, we had some luck. I I actually got a banded bird that was banded in the same area but in 2015 so it was a five-year-old bird so that was pretty cool and nice and i i brought home a bunch of breasts and legs and thighs and i made that uh wine braised waterfowl that's in the meat eater cookbook that was pretty good put it over some uh, roasted roasted red potatoes it's good Ooh, that was good. What'd you do with the, this seems like an off question in related to food, but what'd you do with the band? Did you put it on your goose calling lanyard? Well, I would have if I had any goose calls. Uh, it is on my uh, truck keys. So oh, that's a pretty cool thing to do with it. It's in my pocket every day. I have one of those lanyards that has like a fake one on it, and I always wanted to back when I used to be more avid in, in waterfowl hunting is like to just like stack it up. Um, like jewelry. What do I forget? What are those like Pandora bracelets the oh, ladies yeah. wear? And they have all the little jangles all around it. I want my duck, I want my duck call lanyard to look like a Pandora bracelet. But, um, so meat eater recipe for the goose. Yep. Anything, anything else with it, or just everything went into that? Uh, I haven't cooked any of the breasts yet. I typically do pastrami and and stuff, but or smoke it. But I haven't decided what what I have a lot of it. There was the big group of us went went, so we got a lot of birds. I don't think quite our limit, but pretty close. So I I brought home nine birds. So man, that's a good haul. Yeah. And that was, they were trying to give me more because <laughs> they didn't want to clean them. And I was like, ah, nine's enough for me. So. <laughs> but yeah, then, pastrami'd be good. Uh, but the my big news is I uh, I got a buck with my bow this uh, couple weekends ago. Or uh, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. So lucky, lucky Friday the 13th. Well, it was good luck for you, but not for the buck. No, right, <laughs> right. One of my uh, first bucks since I was in high school with a bow. I've gotten some with gun since then, but I've been on a pretty uh, nasty drought as far as archery bucks go. But I was finally able to end it, thankfully. But my uh, my good so friend, what, is, Jason, what does a, a nasty drought look like? How long? Two thousand three. Holy smokes! Seventeen years with for an archery buck, yeah. Seventeen. Yeah, years. for an archery buck. Yeah, so it was a nasty drought. Holy sm- it was pretty nasty. Yeah, I went what like four or five years in a row, getting a buck with the bow, and then a long, long time without it. Um, my friend JC was up. We were planning to hunt all weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because it was the first. Uh, Sunday allowed for hunting in Pennsylvania in modern times. So we were planning on, you know, spending the whole weekend out in the woods. And uh, Friday morning, our first morning of hunting, I got out, you know, mauled 
ready for a full day sit. Got all my snacks and my gear and water and all that stuff that you take into the woods. And I, I get up into the stand and uh, I'm getting set and it's getting light out. It's past it's past legal legal shooting hours. It's I, I can see to shoot, but I'm still kind of getting situated. And as I'm getting situated, I see a tree shaking. I'm like that. That doesn't look like a squirrel. And it was a buck. I don't know if he was making a rub or freshening up a scrape or something, but he was he was right there, and he had to have been he it couldn't have been very far away when I walked in. I just I must have been quiet enough to where I didn't disturb him. But uh, he walked after after messing with that tree, he walked right in less than twenty yards, and I uh, took the shot and saw him go down and. Got up to him, and I think he's one of my best bucks. He's he only had seven points, but uh, they're super tall tines and um, real long brow tines. I think like a seventeen-inch spread or something like that. So I'm definitely happy with them. Pretty good. And and that all happened by like seven o'clock on Friday morning. So so within the first. 15 20 minutes of the first day of hunting i for the weekend i, I got them so uh i constantly you know i helped jc out a little bit i did some drives for him then you know over the next day and then the sunday rolls around and um it was like 40 mile an hour 50 mile an hour gusts of wind it was just a driving rain so we did not hunt on sunday so wait, you're telling me that the first hunt in Pennsylvania's recorded history on a Sunday, you didn't hunt. No. Well, I, I, I had my buck. I had my buck and it was, <laughs> it was, it was nasty out there. It was nasty. Oh man. I guess you could say I'm a fair weather hunter. Man, that's a news article right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, that's all right, man. Uh, I I probably would have been the same way. I mean, you kind of checked that check that box and then had some nasty weather to contend with. I don't I don't think uh, historics or not. I don't know if it'd be worth it. Yeah. But was was this the weekend that it overlapped with bear? It's been um, archery bear and archery deer have overlapped for nearly a month. Isn't there a, there's a point where archery deer and primitive rifle bear overlap, right? Isn't that what we talked with Tyler about? Yes, that was in uh, mid October. That there's been, okay, so that's past. Okay, yeah that that there was an early season um, inline muzzleloader for doe only, but that also coincided with uh, muzzleloader bear, which I. I went out several times with. I did the dual carry in case I saw a buck, bow, and muzzleloader, uh, but I did not get anything. And um, so, by the time this podcast comes out, bear will be concluded. Um, it's so it concludes like this weekend. Uh, it's it's the. Uh, let me look at the calendar here. So bear is the 21st, 22nd, which is a Sunday, and like the 23rd and 24th. So leading up to Thanksgiving. Um, okay. So I, the, the day before the, this releases. Yeah. Huh. I, I probably, um, I'm probably not going out for bear. I don't typically go out for rifle bear and, I've been hunting so much since September. I think there was like two weekends I haven't hunted since September. So give my wife a little bit of a break before um, rifle season, which opens up the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Well, hopefully you have the same luck as you did in, in archery and you just go out the first Friday and boom, it's done. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I can only get a doe and, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But it's, I like 
the rifle season because that's you know my dad and I always go together, so it's kind of a tradition. And I don't hunt as much as I'd like to with him, so it's, it's a chance to get out with him. Nice, that's good. Um, does he does he have a buck tag or just yep. uh yep he has a, as well? He has a buck tag. Um, okay, cool. So I, I we might switch stands because I think my stand's a little bit better area for bucks. So hopefully he gets a he gets an opportunity. Nice, that'd be good. Um, so you've been working on cleaning up your buck from archery. So how's that going? <laughs> I just just finished it tonight. I had I put in a couple long nights. I don't know if it's if it's me just being slow or or too particular or if it's just i i it's, t- it's taking a long time all the, i i enjoy it i just a couple long nights make for sipping it. sipping hot sipping hot cocoa and whiskey <laughs> yeah. that's i think that's um, what's wrong right <laughs> well i did that i did that after uh oh okay the, the garage gets pretty cold it's like i don't have a heated garage but I do it out there because my butcher block is and stuff. And, um, so it's, it was like 30, 35 degrees out there and, you know, come inside, warm up with hot cocoa spiked with some whiskey. So it was good. So I actually, you talk about your butcher block. I saw, is that the same one that you posted on the, the, was it the Hank shop? Yeah. Yep. Facebook group. Yep. So where did you acquire that? Um, my wife's grandparents, her, her grandfather passed away a couple years ago and her grandmother is moving out of that house, has, has moved out of that house this summer. And her grandfather, I don't know where he got it from. He's a machinist or he was a machinist. So he might, might've gotten it from the machine shop. Um, so is it like a full is it like a full like traditional like square butcher block or is it um a little different? It's how big is it? I don't know. Two feet by four feet or two feet by three and a half feet. And it's like two inches thick. It's on steel legs, and then I put casters on the bottom of it. So I can roll it around my garage, which is, which I have utilized it many times already, with the doe I got, and the bo- and the buck, and the squirrels, and so it's, it's it's a vital piece of equipment now. Nice. Sounds like it's coming in handy. That's good. I uh, I was curious where you got it when I saw the picture on the on the, the Facebook group, I was very curious as to where you acquired it and how, cause I've been looking at building one, uh, for myself and I got a couple buddies here because we do a lot of fish. So they use that like sort of a uh, plastic composite board as yeah. the top. And then every, it's like framed out with wood and they'll put like little slots in it, put like a bucket at the bottom so you can slide the, the fish carcass and all that stuff off, off into it. But, um, I'm kind of, bouncing back and forth between like an actual wood one and then maybe trying that composite. So not really sure. I'm, I'm definitely like a solid 50, 50 on which one I would want. But, uh, I have a, a bunch of large like wood cutting boards that I typically do all my work on. So I have, I have a couple big cutting boards for inside and that's how I had done it in the past is, done it at my kitchen counter with the big cutting boards but they're they're a pain in the butt to clean in the sink you know scraping that off but with this being out in the garage i i have like a vinegar water spray and i pick all the big you know chunks off and i wipe it down i spray wipe it down and then um i have like a it's kind of like a scotch bright pad type thing and i'll scrub it really good with that and then spray it down again and wipe it off clean. And it takes like two minutes to do and I'm not plugging up the drain in the house and getting water all over the counter and the floor and the kitchen. So it makes things super convenient for cleanup. Nice. That's good. 
Um, awesome. Well, it sounds like you progressed on that. I'm excited to see what's what's going to become of the the deer as the months go by. And uh, I, I did save the heart, the liver, and the call fat. Although when I gutted it out in the field, I got some dirt in the call fat, which is super hard to pick out of the pick out of there. Yeah, do you think you're gonna discard that part? Or are you gonna try to just clean I don't, it up as best you can? I don't know. I'm I'm gonna throw it in the freezer, and when it comes time to use it, I might try to cut out those little little pieces. But we'll see. And then I don't know. I I don't like liver straight up, so I I don't know if I'll do another batch of boudin or or what. But <laughs> another run. Yeah, I I, screw, I, I don't want to say I screwed up the first one, but I didn't. didn't work out exactly as I had as I had hoped but we'll we'll give it another shot nice all right well I do want to give Ben the opportunity to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about what he's got going on so Ben over to you welcome this is your first podcast episode thanks uh yeah so I'm Ben I'm the new managing editor over at Harvesting Nature. Um, I don't know, I guess I'll do like a, just a really quick little bio too. Just uh, grew up in northern New Jersey, doing a lot of hunting, fishing. Uh, there's a lot more opportunities out there than people think. Um, lived in upstate New York for a while, did a lot of fly fishing, got into bow hunting there. Um, just moved to Oregon, so September I did my first archery elk season, which was something I've wanted to do for a long time, which was super cool. Um, and I just got back from hunting whitetails in PA and New York, which kind of kicked my butt, but, but yeah, so that's it. I'll, I'll ask you the question I ask everybody. Favorite wild game dish? Favorite wild game dish. Um, I love that, uh, the Hank Shaw recipe, the Icelandic blueberry uh, tenderloin recipe that he's got Ooh. super good yeah it's just like a it's like blueberries red wine some mushrooms uh reduction um it's just it's just awesome with a cold cannon on the side it's perfect it's not that hard either awesome it's good i like a good straightforward recipe too hank's got some good stuff uh for sure yes um all right. Well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, so one really cool thing that we've been doing is we have a new, a new camouflage American flag shirt up on the website. And the really cool thing about this is, you know, a lot of companies out there have camouflage American flag themed shirts, but uh, ours is unique in the fact that we're taking fifty uh, percent of the proceeds of this shirt. And we're donating to veteran outdoor organizations. So uh, that's really cool for us because it hits pretty close to home with a lot of us being active duty or veterans uh, on the Harvest and Nature crew. So uh, we, we tend to like to look after our own and those who have served. We understand the conditions and all that. And, and the outdoors is a great way to reconnect, uh, blow off steam, and and use some of those skills that we acquired doing the various jobs that we did uh, throughout our time in the military. So uh, with that, if you go over to the show notes, you'll find the link to that shirt. You should go check it out. It's a pretty neat shirt. Um, I've got mine on standby, so it should be here pretty soon. So I'm excited to, uh, to receive it and wear it proudly. But um, other than that too, we got uh, a new adventures for food podcast just came out. So, uh, go check that out as well. Roll back one episode in the, your podcast list and you'll be able to, to listen to that. Those are always our short, succinct versions of, uh, of adventures that are coming from our field staff writers. They're out there doing fun stuff, but generally like 10 to 15 minute episodes, maybe some shorter ones, um, just going out for food and the adventures that come with it. But uh, with Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow, as you're listening to this, or today if you're listening to it on Thanksgiving, 
Uh, we definitely want to talk about how to prepare uh, wild turkey for Thanksgiving dinner and uh, some other wild game dishes that accompany the dinner as well. So we're really going to try to – we're going to hit a couple apps. We're going to hit a couple mains and some desserts because let's just dive right into it. And um, I, I want to lead off um, the apps here. So this has come from uh, Elevated Wild, which is a great wild food um, website. And uh, I actually saw uh, Wade, the creator of this recipe, make this recipe during the Backcountry Hunter and Angler's Rendezvous. And it's a cold-smoked venison tartare. So... um, I believe Corey, we've we've featured a tartar recipe on here before, or no carpaccio? Yeah, carpaccio. Very similar, just kind of little different stuff going on. But um, Wade does a really awesome job with uh, with this one, and I think the the cool thing that I got to see sort of visually when I was watching the video is the fact that he almost it's almost frozen whenever he puts it in the smoker and he's he's rolling the smoker i think he's using he's using a traeger he's rolling on like the very lowest setting possible and so and he's got the thermometer inside the meat in the back strap the whole entire time while he's doing it and as the meat comes up to a certain temperature he pulls it off and he puts it back in the freezer back on ice again not like an ice water bath so that you're watering it down but like maybe in a Ziploc sitting in ice just to like cool it back down. But he tries to maintain the temperature uh, of the meat to keep it from cooking uh, because that's the essential part of a tartare recipe is that you want your meat raw. Um, So he's for safety's sake, he's frozen it hard leading into it. And then as he smokes it, he he plays with the temperature to keep it where it's at. Uh, But basically just keeping it, keeping it as cold as possible. So he's starting, like I said, partially frozen. And then, um, you're going to smoke it for 30 minutes, uh, long enough for it to get some of the smoky flavor, but you don't want to let the internal temperature get above 50 degrees. So like what I was saying, and then put it back in the freezer, another 20, 30 minutes, leave your smoker rolling, pull it back out. And you're kind of just, uh, your, repeating this process as much as, as you desire, but you want to keep it cold for, um, for food safety reasons, but also you're going to be eating it raw. So you don't want it super warm and weird. Once you get that, I mean, you got cool mixture of stuff. You're mixing it with lemon, uh, capers, pine nuts, pistachios, lots of stuff to serve in it and on it. Basically like a really pretty beautiful plate. Yeah, so you get everything kind of mixed together. But super fun appetizer. Uh, it, as I've heard, takes on the smoke flavor pretty well, uh, which is good. But then also you get a lot of really good flavor, and I think it's a, a definite crowd pleaser because um, it's something not like super unusual, but something people probably aren't going to consistently prepare uh, in their kitchen with, with backstrap. So... And we'll change gears. So, Corey, got your world-famous Chipotle squirrel barbecue dip. I mean, it's, it's super simple. The kids love it every time I, we get squirrels. That's that's their preferred meal with it. And it's, you know, it's the perfect finger food, too. You know, waiting around for the turkey to cook, you just dip a tortilla chip in it. But So I braise the squirrels down, pick the meat. And then um, it is like ranch, barbecue sauce, a couple chipotle peppers, uh, cilantro, um, shredded cheese, and uh, cream cheese. So it's, uh, oh, and some uh, firing lime chipotle seasoning um, to give it some extra kick. So it, uh, and it's, it's one that you don't have to be like super precise on your measurements of the various ingredients. 
you know, add add a couple more chipotle peppers to get it get it more hot or take some out. Yeah, you you like it more you like it spicier than than what everybody else does, right? I I like I'm the one of the, I, I'm the only one in the house that kind of likes spicy food. So I'll since the kids like it so much, I'll only put a couple chipotle peppers in there. Um so or leave them out completely so it's more of like a a barbecue squirrel dip. But it nice. And it's one of those things that gets better like the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, the flavors marry. Cool. Well, um, I think that I could definitely see that on the table for appetizers. I would pick at it for sure while I was waiting for the rest of the food to come along. Um, another one that I thought was really cool because we've been on, if you've been listening and following us regularly, you know that we've been on sort of this like awful kick, not awful, but awful, awful. Uh, so like Corey mentioned, the hearts, the livers, the call fat tongues, all those things. And, uh, when I was doing a little research for this one, one great recipe by, uh, Danielle Pruitt over on the meat eater website is a, uh, it's a venison heart crostini recipe, which I, so personally, I love crostinis, uh, being a chef, that's definitely something easy to throw together and, and to make as like a pass hors d'oeuvre at a, at any type of party or social gathering. So, um, super easy to put together, but I like hers because it has a bunch of different elements that really comes together to make it both like really beautiful, but also really flavorful. So you need one deer heart, deer, antelope, elk, moose, whatever, uh, one baguette. I would probably say that if you're going to have an elk or moose, you may need more than one baguette, but that that could be seen. I always end up buying two when I just need one and then end up snacking on the other when I'm cooking. But, uh, she has a really good, um, a couple like sub recipes in this one, honey and garlic goat cheese, uh, which is exactly as it sounds like combining goat cheese, warm cream and honey, and then, uh, pickled mustard seeds. If you've never made pickled mustard seeds, you definitely should because they are magical. You essentially are taking um, dried mustard seeds and you're uh, rehydrating them and then putting them in the vinegar and letting them sit so that they absorb that flavor. And that's it's uh, it's pretty awesome. The the one thing, have you ever had them, Corey or Ben? Have you guys had pickled mustard seeds before? No, I have not. I have not. No, this recipe looks really good though. Definitely would give them a a try. You guys have had, though, um, like trout roe or salmon roe would kind of get like the little ball and you bite it and like give you a little burst of flavor. Yeah, super good. So pickle mustard seeds are sort of the same, but you're getting like that kind of vinegary mustard flavor. Cool. So like the same little consistency, but uh, pretty awesome. And um so after you take your heart and you really trim it down and, and get it cleaned up, uh, which Danielle also has a really great video on how to break down a heart. I appreciate her analogy for using uh, like a bell pepper. We've, we've referenced that before sort of in some of our previous episodes where we talked about how to clean a heart. And um, you essentially just sear, season and sear the deer heart and then throw everything together on the crostinis, which are essentially just sliced toasted pieces of baguette. And uh, that's that. It's a really good one. I think it would do well. Yeah. And and then I wanted to throw a uh, I wanted to throw like a soup in there too, and in for the uh, the appetizers just because I think it's warm or it's cooler time of the year. Everybody likes chowders, so our very own uh, wild fish chowder with rosemary cornbread corn muffins let's say cornbread but corn muffins and i think it's a that's a pretty good one just because everybody loves a good chowder and then you also get the additional recipe of the the corn muffins which are also super phenomenal um kind of your standard corn muffin recipe minus the fact that you're going to be putting um you're going to put rosemary inside of them that's it give a little extra flavor and then the chowder itself, 
you're looking for any white flaky fish. So that covers a lot of different fish around the U.S. And then uh, onion, scallion, celery, corn, uh, leeks, thyme, using seafood stock and white wine, heavy cream. And uh, you're combining all those things inside the pot to make a nice hearty chowder. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I think we covered the the appetizers pretty well. And sort of the whole thought of this, I'll reiterate it again, is like if you want to piece together a wild game uh, and fish themed like Thanksgiving meal, like this is, these are just some recommendations. Of course, you're welcome to to mosey to the right or to the left of whatever you like, but some good solid recommendations with all the recipes in the show notes. So, so we do have a couple different ways of making wild turkey because that's uh you know it's a big thing for thanksgiving apparently everybody enjoys a nice turkey core do they have do they have fall turkey up there right now uh yes um in my area the i i think it's closed um, okay but and down near my parents i think it opens up there's like a three three-day season around thanksgiving too usually so i don't think i'll be out turkey hunting no looking for deer or taking a break well leading up to thanksgiving yep taking a little bit of a break give my wife a breather nice she deserves it (laughs) uh ben how's uh they have a fall turkey season in in oregon they do but uh I didn't look into it because I'm still considered a non-resident, so all the tags are just super expensive. So I, I didn't even okay, didn't even try. <laughs> but there is one. Okay, well, it's good to know. Yeah, there's there's parts of Florida where it, uh, I think the northern part of Florida, certain areas they have a fall season, and then most everything kicks off here in the spring, um, kind of statewide. So you have to save your bird from the the spring most places here but so we've got really three methods that i kind of wanted to talk about and one being the first the deep fried which is kind of the standard way everybody knows i i put the link in here as a video and uh they do kind of a good job of of breaking the bird down and then put it in the deep fryer and i thought it was really interesting because they left the legs on it it's kind of like a little handle uh like the bottom part where you'd find the uh um the spurs so that they can kind of dip it in and out of the oil and move it around as needed. But, um, doesn't matter if you're doing a, a domestically raised Turkey or farm raised Turkey or a wild Turkey, the deep fry is going to kind of be the same as long as you're paying attention to your internal temps. And then we have Hank Shaw's, uh, Turkey breast recipe, which I don't know, Corey, you want to talk about that one? At all, or I, ben, I, either one of you guys? I've cooked that one before. It is, if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, it is amazing. Smoked turkey breast. Yeah, it it was it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've done I that think, too. It's super good. So what's what's your guys' favorite part about it? The uh, honey maple syrup <laughs> uh, glaze that goes on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. I looked at it and from the just from the photos, like it looks really great. Like the the glaze on the outside really sets apart from the white meat on the inside, but you can also see that it kind of it transfers into the meat itself. So say you have a, a turkey and you only have the the breast or you're preparing a meal for a small group of people. Not a lot of people are going to eat a whole turkey. Or in like my case, I don't really care much for turkey. So um, if I do prepare one at all, it's just usually like a breast. 
So this would be a good a good recipe for that. And then you got the old spatchcock smoked turkey or grilled turkey or baked turkey, whichever you want to do it. But I'm definitely like hugely fascinated and uh, I like cooking the like spatchcock method. Are you guys familiar with that method? Yep. I've never done it, but never done it. I know what it is. Yeah. It's uh it's super proficient just because for those people out there that are listening that don't know it, you you basically like split the bird at the the breastbone on either side of it, the right and left side, and then just kinda like lay it open like a book. And uh it just allows it to cook much, much faster because you don't have to penetrate all the the depth of the turkey. But I mean you still the entire process itself is still the same. You're still looking for the same internal temperature. You can brine it. You can marinate it. You can dry rub it. You can do whatever. You can wrap it in foil. All those things are the same. It's just the the, the way you're cutting it for the grill, and it just it just saves so much time, um, which I like. Um, next up, so what would Thanksgiving turkey be without a holiday ham? And uh, we really have sort of two recipes that that stand out for the the ham. We have you have two different methods of thoughts for hams. You have your cured ham, which is uh, where you're curing it some type of curing salts or curing substance. That's that's where you get that nice like pink color from. And then you have like a ham where it's uncured. And uh, the first ham we have is uncured and it's a holiday ham and this is uh dustin carroll remember him from the very beginnings of the podcast but dustin um has a tried and true like family recipe where he makes uh makes the ham he shoots wild boars and uh you basically just like continuously put this guy on there and um chris cross cut and then brown sugar, dry mustard, and you're doing a little dry rub, and then you're going to put the ham in the oven and then take a bunch of other ingredients, which includes uh, 24 ounces of cream soda, agave syrup, maple syrup, cloves, cinnamon stick, anise, uh, half an orange, and a half a lemon rind. And you put all those down and like reduce them down until they get nice and thick and liquidy. And then you're just going to continue like every 15 minutes, you're going to put it on the top of that ham and like really let it, uh, let it soak in that flavor. It actually makes me hungry. Just thinking about it. You, you're talking about, um, cured and uncured. And it, it made me think of something as going back to the turkeys, like, uh, store-bought turkeys are coming, coming like a brine solution already. So I wouldn't, recommend brining mm-hmm. them before cooking them because it i think you can get too salty but a wild turkey first yeah for yeah for a store buy was a great for for a wild turkey i would definitely recommend uh brining it before smoking it or or roasting it or or i don't know if you'd have to brine it before you deep fry it if you what do you think, Justin? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think you would have to be very careful because of the yeah. dealing with water and hot oil, one. Uh, two, when you fry it, you experience a lot, of, a lot less loss of moisture because the, the science behind it, like once you put the meat in the hot oil, it kind of creates this barrier around uh the meat that kind of like helps keep moisture inside um so there's that thought while like crisping it up also so i don't know that i would brine a turkey if i was going to put it i would probably be more likely to like inject it Uh, i know that's pretty common with the fried turkeys well but i did a fried turkey was it last year and mm -hmm. i just did a it was a store-bought turkey um, I just did a rub on it, a little bit of like olive oil yeah. to get it to stick, and like got my hand underneath the skin and got the rub on there. 
and uh, it came out um, it came out really good. I was I was happy with it. You could definitely do like um, like a I would say probably a dry brine. Um, so that's where you're taking like a, a rub mixture that has a higher salt content, and you're gonna rub the turkey down, and then you let it set overnight, and uh, that that should help like tenderize. Um, it's not gonna be as great as if you submerged it, but I would definitely be cautious and do a little research before I threw a a wet brine turkey into a hot pot of grease. Yeah, but I, I think you definitely need to. <laughs> to brine it if you're going to smoke it or roast it yeah 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 that's fair and um um we we have a we have we're going to do one turkey this year but we don't know if it's going to be enough so uh i'm going to roast a couple pheasants and i plan to brine them beforehand and and then throw them on the pellet grill so the other ham we have a recipe for is like the cured ham. And that's a, another recipe from Danielle all over on the meteor page. And uh, this one, you, the biggest thing about here is you got to do a little bit of forethought and you got to think ahead because you're going to brine it and you're going to brine it in a, in a combination of, of things. So cold water, kosher salt, sugar, curing salt, peppercorn, bay leaf, mustard seeds, all those things. And you're going to let it set in the brine for like three to four days. And so that's where you got to think about like, all right, well, it's uh, it's Monday and I need to get this in the brine so it can cure before I smoke it on Thursday. So just something to think about. But um, after you get that done, like throwing it on the smoker, bring it to 180 and um rinse your ham really well and you're gonna make up a glaze too which just glaze sounds really good it's yellow mustard apple cider vinegar honey garlic and black pepper i think she lists on here this recipe would also work with bear so if you want to do a nice bear ham for uh for the holidays which would be cool um so two hours of smoking and then every hour after, you're going to lightly baste the ham with the glaze. And then you're going to smoke the ham until it reaches an internal temperature of 160 degrees. You're going to smoke to 150. If you find the meat begins to stall, you, you can bump the heat up a little bit, she says. Uh, but you're looking like 8 to 12 hours, depending on the size of the ham. That's definitely that's a good amount of time. It's about the same. I did a, I did a whole pork leg in the smoker back a, a couple months ago and yeah it took about 12 hours to do so that's, that's a fair amount of time but really awesome recipe we'll do a little birds some birds some upland um i like this one so i, I chose this one because it it goes well and it has a cornbread dressing which is a huge thing on my table uh we're big on eating cornbread dressing for Thanksgiving. So roasted quail with sage and squash cornbread dressing. So uh, you're going to need six semi-deboned quail. So that means you're you're basically like breaking it down. Uh, you're taking the, the legs, the almost kind of like halved, but you're moving the inside of it. There's a nice video on the recipe on how to semi-debone quail. And then you're doing cornbread, onion, celery, squash, stock, fresh sage, all that stuff. And uh, you preheat your oven and um, then mix up all your ingredients for the cornbread. You know, saute off the vegetables, uh, crumble up your cooked cornbread in the, in the bowl, add the stock, mix everything, and then put your quail pieces on top after they're seasoned and just let it bake about 20 to 30 minutes. And uh, it's really cool because the juices from the quail will soak down into the cornbread and give it some extra flavor. So you really get that nice dressing flavor. You guys, you guys, big on uh, dressings for Thanksgiving? I guess like stuffing, dressing, different. I'll eat it. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent too. Really? Yeah. Oh man, it's such. It's like a. It's like a big thing in my house. Like my grandmother makes a, I mean, I guess not my house, what used to be my house. 
Um, my grandmother makes a good uh, a good cornbread stuffing or dressing. Yeah, I've never uh, heard it called a dressing either. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, it's uh, probably definitely a southern thing. Um, we also have you get depending on where you're at in Louisiana, they do like a seafood dressing. Uh, so you get like oysters and uh, shrimp and a bunch of different things in there. So that's that's a, a very unique thing as well that I had never eaten anywhere else uh, until I got to Louisiana. So it was pretty cool. But uh, a lot of cornbread. I've seen people do it with like that stuffing mix that kind of made like breadcrumbs and stuff. Not the same in my opinion, but still probably good. My wife just I made ahead some stuffing gets like the bread cubes probably what you were just saying you, you don't like but like sage <laughs> sage and parsley and rosemary and then mm-hmm. some sausage i think she's gonna make a my uh, a couple people coming don't eat wild game so we had to make a non-wild game but i think she might be making a uh, venison sausage version of it as well Ooh, that's pretty good that sounds good. Um, we had a few more listed on the list here, but I'm going to bump down to the desserts just because we're running out of time. And uh, I think we have some – we've covered some good areas. Uh, one recipe I'll mention real quick is is a homemade fish sticks uh, with tasty mashed potatoes. So mashed potatoes often find themselves on Thanksgiving tables. Um, fish does or does not, depending on where you're at. But these fish sticks are pretty much like a wild homemade version of the fish sticks that we all grew up eating. Uh, I made this recipe during COVID uh, along with a couple other like kid-friendly and kid-themed recipes, uh, like a steak finger recipe that I grew up with uh, that, that substituted venison in for beef. And um, I, was really, I was really proud of this one. My, my daughter really enjoyed it, so... I would check that out. It's baked, not fried, so it's a little different. So it's it really is like the the old school, like out of the box fish sticks, but you make it with fresh fish. Um, so that would be a good, I think, crowd pleaser for a Thanksgiving table and give it a little variety. If if you got some fish in the freezer, or feel like going out and catching something. And as always, don't forget the vegetables. Uh, there's some great vegetable recipes out there. Uh, I encourage you to get beyond the candied yams and uh, cranberry sauce for your fruits and vegetables for that. So try something different. I love the sweet potatoes. It's good. I do, Yeah, I do like sweet potatoes too. We eat sweet potatoes pretty much every week in my house, so um, the excitement of them has, has, has waned. But let's talk about some other sweets. So you guys used ever used fats to bake with? Nope. I have not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big baker and I've, I've announced that several times on the show. I, I can bake to get around it or bake if I need to, but not in on this level. And the first one is another mediated recipe. Um, it is a bare fat chocolate croissants. And, um, Essentially, like treating the bare fat just like butter when you're making your croissant dough. So bread, flour, water, yeast, sugar, all that. Uh, chocolate bars. Uh, you have your egg yolk and egg wash, and you can also use pork lard if you don't have bare fat. What about um, um, beef tallow? I have. I bought a, a gallon. A gallon of it. I have a lot of it. Uh, that's a lot of beef tallow. Yeah. Um. Grass, grass I would think it's, it's going to be an interesting flavor, but you could probably do it for sure. Um, as long as it has the same consistency as like a lard or, or I mean, they're all technically lards. Pork lard or, or bear, rendered bear fat. I think it would be fine. What's the consistency? Well, it's, it's hard because uh, you got to start yeah. in the fridge. So, yeah, but when you let it come up to room temp, it gets like a little soft, white and pasty. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah. We ate 
the inner loins of my deer this week and uh, in the pan I melted that first and then seared the, the pieces with that and put a nice crust on it it's good using the beef tallow yep so another one on our list that I'm not going to go into super detail about but it's another one from uh, Elevated Wild and it's beaver fat biscuits um, and that's usually kind of like the same thing they're uh they're combining those those fats in there uh in place of butter but i really want to hit on this uh prickly pear cheesecake um just because and it's cheesecake ice cream sorry let me read the full context of it and this is over on the hunt to eat website uh which is you remember we've had two awesome young ladies from the hunt to eat uh community on uh, the podcast back a few episodes ago and uh, had some great conversations and they helped coin the, the venison diplomacy t-shirt venison diplomat. So thanks for that. But this one prickly pear, you guys know what prickly pear is? Yep. Never had, Never it. had it, but I know what it is. Yep. So those are the, you're basically getting to the flower of the, like, uh, what are they called? Uh, I call them like nopalis, but like the pad cactus. Not the ones you see like in the cartoon all the time that has like the three, the one shoot in the middle and the one things that look like arms sticking up in the air. But they're the ones that look like the big pads, like kind of pie plates. Um, so they produce their flower before it goes to flower, I believe. Uh, and somebody will probably correct me if I'm wrong on that, but, uh, in one phase of that, the fruit that grows off of it, which they, they produce either one or two times a year when they turn kind of a maroonish color, you go harvest them and they make an amazing like juice. You juice it down. It's got some seeds and stuff in there, but phenomenal. We have a recipe with uh, rabbit on the website, but using the same process. But once you get this juice, uh, you could probably use any sort of, I think, the closest thing that you would have would be like a pomegranate juice, although not as rustic, not as native to uh, North America, obviously. And you got cream cheese, vanilla, lemon, salt. You're making a whipped cream, and uh, you're essentially making basically a cheesecake consistency for ice cream. And then, uh, oh, you're folding in the whipped cream, yeah. And then you put them into a freezer-safe dish and cover. So instead of like doing your traditional like uh, rotating ice cream thing, you're just hand mixing everything. Cool, that's exciting. And then uh, we have a smoked pumpkin pie with bourbon whipped cream. That's a, uh, I think it's really cool. I made that a couple years ago on the Traeger. So you're essentially just taking your your pumpkin pie, which this one's good. It's got pecans and stuff with it, and um, you're cooking it on the Traeger, and then your bourbon whipped cream. You're just making basically handmade whipped cream, which my first uh, job in sort of a, a real heavy-duty kitchen, uh, I started off working the dessert station, and I had to make a handmade whipped cream every day. Uh, we had to do a chocolate and a vanilla every day. And uh, so you get used to making handmade whipped cream, which is 10 times better than anything else you'll find in the store, I promise you. Buy some heavy whipping cream, get a whisk, and just, like, go at it. You'll, you'll appreciate it. But, um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other recipes that well, fall into any of those sections? I want, I want to talk about that blueberry bread pudding. Okay. Because um, in our area, blueberries are pretty popular. We have a friend. I mean, there's a golf course up the road called Blueberry Hill because there's lots of blueberries. But uh, our friend has a big big uh blueberry patch and always we go there to pick so we always have blueberries in the freezer so my wife my wife made this uh blueberry it's called over the top blueberry bread pudding so we use the the blueberries from our friend's uh property and uh i uh oh for work several years ago i was in mexico and one of the parts one of the things from Mexico is the the vanilla 
vanilla extract is like 10 times better from there than anything you can get in a mm-hmm. store up here. Um, so my wife used that. And then with the fresh or the the blueberries, they weren't fresh anymore. We had, we had them frozen because you'd pick them in June. Um, but mix all that stuff up with some French bread and sugar and heavy whipping cream and uh, some eggs, white baking chips. It was like it was it was super decadent, but it was so good. Dude, like I was su- I was surprised at how good it was. Cause it's like bread pudding. That doesn't sound good at all, but it it was amazing. Man, I love bread pudding. It's too like a, a southern thing as well. But uh, oh man, that sounds good. I like the white baking chips too. Almost kind of like a white chocolate type feel to it. I was gonna say, is there anything special that you guys make for for Thanksgiving? It doesn't have to be wild. Um, just anything like a a traditional meal that you always make or part of the meal. Just your standards: mashed potatoes, turkey, green bean casserole. Nice. Ooh, I do like a good green bean casserole with like ham in it too. Um, oh, I don't think ours has ham, but the French onion no. stuff on top, French or French's uh, fried onions. Yep, yep. What about you, Ben? Anything special you guys do for Thanksgiving? Um, not really. Um, despite that, I'm 32. Usually. My mother does everything. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she loves to cook, so she loves to just kind of do the whole thing. And you know, me and my brother are older, so she, she likes to kind of just do everything and get to play mom, even though we're growing up. But I'm out here in Oregon, and I'm not going home because of COVID. So, so my girlfriend and I are planning, trying to figure out what we're going to do still. So, not really sure. So I, uh, this year. Um, I, I always try to cook like one thing new and, uh, I've been catching up a lot on, on Anthony Bourdain's episodes of, uh, parts unknown. So I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. I have been for a very long time for those people that don't know it. Uh, it's a weird connect I have with the kitchen and travel and all that other stuff, but, uh, I've been watching and one episode that stood out to me is he goes to Leon. And he travels there with this uh, very well-renowned French chef. And they go, like, to his family's uh, basically, like, farm. And they eat, like, kind of farmhouse meals. And one of the dishes that they make is, like, a uh, it's like a farmhouse pumpkin dish. And they take a whole pumpkin and carve it out, take all the seeds. Uh, they leave the meat. Um, they basically like cap it at the top so you can pull the top of it off, but you still have the insides hollow and all intact. And they take bread, cream, uh, lots of wild mushrooms. So you could use pretty much a variety of mushrooms. Uh, they take Gruyere cheese and, um, I don't know, I forgot if I mentioned bread or not, but they take bread, like bread trunk chunks, like you would think of, uh, just for like bread pudding. And they put it in there and they top it with uh, like salted ham or salted pork. So like bacon equivalent, be like thick cut cured bacon. And they put the cap back on it and then they put it in a wood fired oven and they just let it cook for like 45 minutes or so. Uh, it really depended on the size of the pumpkin. But I'm going to try that uh, for Thanksgiving and see how it comes out because it just to me sounds like decadent and awesome and amazing. Going to do so, that on the Traeger? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it'll be a Traeger product, so it'll be a little smoky. The pumpkin will. Nice. But I like to I like to use the pumpkin for for cooking, especially in the fall, just because I think that outside of like a pumpkin pie and stuff like that, like a pumpkin's really underutilized this time of year and i think they're very abundant and they're in season so they're great i have one sitting on my cabinet right now that that i'm going to cook with over the next the next week so that's kind of like my special meal that i'm trying but uh we'll do a quick around the room or around the podcast and see so uh cory any misfires alibis no just happy thanksgiving to everybody 
hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and good luck to all the PA rifle hunters that are going to go out on Saturday. Yep. Good luck, guys. And uh, Ben, last thoughts? Um, nothing really. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. New York rifle opens Sunday too, I think. So, good luck, everybody's out there next week. That's about it. Awesome. Well, um, I also want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and uh, I hope that you've enjoyed our sort of wild Thanksgiving episode, and it's a what it's in, evolved into sharing some great recipes with you, which is what we like to do uh, all the time. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, if you do cook some of these things up, please let us know, and uh, we'll make sure to share your feedback and, and answer any questions you may have. But uh, other than that, head over to social media, Harvest Nature on all the platforms, and um, go ahead and whatever podcast platform you listen to punch that five star button leave us a review tell us what we're doing wrong tell us we're doing right and i forgot to mention too we're doing reviews for hats so five star reviews uh we we read your review on the podcast we'll send you a free hat if you feel it leave a review thanks everybody have a good night (laughs) 